الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى أهل بيته قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم وقوله الحق وهو أصدق الصادقين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإن ربك لذو Shaming people, shaming others is amongst the most dangerous behaviors. Shaming others can lead to extremely dangerous and detrimental results. Shaming others can ruin the lives of many individuals, destroy their families. Shaming others can wreck communities and even take lives. Shaming people should not be anything people take lightly. And I believe the Muslim community living in the West understands the detrimental effects of shaming like no other community around the world. And fortunately, many of us are shamed daily for who we are. I am shamed every time I go to an airport. And I am randomly selected I am shamed every time I have to go through extra screening. I am shamed every time they make fun of my name, my religion, my background at school. I am shamed every time 
Somebody looks at, looks at me funny because of my hijab. I am shamed every time I'd have to stand in a public place to perform salah or prayers. However, the shaming in our community unfortunately does not stop there. We shame one another. We guilt one another. We expose one another. We surveil each other's faults and mistakes. The business of surveilling others and watching others and exposing others and spreading lies and rumors about others goes on in our community until today. I know many people, you know many people who can no longer attend masjids, Husseiniyat, Imam Bargas, community centers and majalis because they were shamed. They were excommunicated. They were driven away. I know many people who left their homes who left their communities because they were overwhelmed. They could not withstand the effects of shaming on themselves, on their families, on their communities. In fact, I know individuals who unfortunately took their lives because they could not stand the damage that shaming had brought into their lives. I once heard the story of a young lady who said for an entire year, She was not able to sleep by herself out of anxiety and fear. She was not able to leave her bedroom out of anxiety and fear. She was not even able to be alone when she was taking a shower. She was not given blades and razors because her family feared for her life. Nobody should have to go through such trauma. All because some accusations, some rumors were being spread about her in the community. Nobody deserves to be put in such a position. 
And once again we are here at the school of Imam Al-Hussein. Once again we are here to be the voice of those who are embarrassed and shy to speak out, to be heard. Once again we are here to lend our voice to those who were never given a chance to explain themselves or defend themselves. Once again, we are here to lend our voice to those who have been overwhelmed with guilt and shame. At the school of Imam al-Hussein, at the madrasa of Imam al-Hussein, at the smimbar of Imam al-Hussein that stands for rahmah, compassion, and mercy and forgiveness. That's the embodiment, the reflection of the teachings of the Quran and the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And allow me to share two brief moments from the 10th of Muharram. To put things in perspective for us. Number one is when Shimr ibn al-Jawshan came out close to the tents of Imam al-Hussein and he called out Aba al-Fadl Abbas. And he says to him, Ya Aba al-Fadl, me and you, we have blood relations. Through Abel Fadl's mother. Come out and speak with me. Abel Fadl Abbas. History tells us was ashamed. He put his head down. He didn't even want to hear this guy's voice. Imam Al Hussein says, Ya Akha, Ya Abel Fadl, go and speak with him. Imam Al Hussein. Wanted to give this man a chance. Let's hear what he has to say. Maybe something has happened. Maybe something has awakened his soul. Abel Fadl went to speak with him. He said to him, I'll give you amnesty and your brothers. Abel Fadl says, you will give me amnesty, but not the son of Fatima, not the son of Ali, not the son of Rasulullah. The conversation ended there. And many people may think that there were no results, no positive results out of that conversation. It was a useless conversation. Indeed it wasn't. It's not good to shame people, but it's good to have shame. And that's what Shimr did not have. While shaming others is something that Islam stands against. It's against the teachings and the principles of Islam, of akhlaq, of morality. Islam teaches me, Islam teaches you that we ought to have shame. When we are reminded, 
When we hear a mawidah, an advice, an admonishment, it should wake our souls. It should awaken our souls. And that's what Shimr did not have. That's what Umar ibn Sa'ad did not have. That's what many of the individuals who fought over the body of Imam al-Husayn. The burning of the tents of al-Muhammad. The parading of al-Rasulullah from one city to another, they had no shame. Brothers, I don't have time to really get into this topic. Shame is something that protects us, protects our communities, protects our societies, protects our families, the way we speak, the way we dress, the way we portray ourselves on social media, the way we sit, the way we walk. That all should resemble haya, modesty, Islamic values. However, this encounter between Shimr and Abel Fadl Abbas, how did it become useful and encourage others to step forward? That Imam al-Hussein is willing to have a dialogue. Imam al-Hussein is willing to accept the sinners. The camp of Imam al-Hussein does not shame anyone. And who came next? Next came Hur ibn Yazid al-Riyahi. History tells us if they were to name five brave men in Arabia, one of them would be Hur ibn Yazid al-Riyahi. Hur came to him. Hur came, says, says to Imam al-Husayn, Ya Aba Abdullah, halli min tawbah? Is there a way for me to be forgiven? Imam al-Husayn says, who are you? He does not say his name, he is so ashamed. He feels so guilty, he's not willing to even say his name. He says his crime. Ya Aba Abdullah, I am the one that intercepted your caravan. I am the one that caused this misery. Imam al Hussein in that moment could have shamed him. He could have made him feel guilty, even for a moment. But Imam al-Hussein here lended a hand to Hur. A hand that represents Allah's rahmah, Allah's mercy, Allah's compassion. And he took Hur and he raised him. If you ask for forgiveness, Allah will forgive you. And Hur then became amongst the aid the support, the companions of Sayyid al-Shuhada. This is what we learn from the school of Imam al-Hussein. Today in our community, there are many 
of the likes of Hur. Listen to this. Today, as we speak, as we gather this evening, there are many individuals in our community who are the likes of Hur, but not many who are the likes of Hussein. Not many who are willing to help the guilty and those who feel ashamed of their past. Who feel ashamed of what they have done. Who feel ashamed of their sin. To help them come back. And we portray this unfortunately image of Allah. And Allah that only belongs to those who sit in their musalla, who don't sin, who never break the laws, Allah listens to them, of course. If you're a mu'min, if you read the Qur'an, if you have special moments of the night with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those individuals. But similarly, Allah loves the voice of a person who's going through tawbah. Allah loves the voice of the person who's overtaken by guilt. We spoke of the story of the man with the greatest sin, Allah says, do not ever despair from the mercy, the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna Allah yaghfiru dhunuba jami'a. While your family, while your friends, while your neighbors, while your community may give up on some people. You know, you have made too many mistakes, too many sins. We have given you too many chances. You have disappointed us way too many times. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I will still give you another chance. My door is always open for you. You're always welcome to come to me. Whether it's the day, whether it's the night. It doesn't matter. Just come. Just speak. I heard a beautiful story from one of our ulama. He said when I was young, said I was 15, 16 years old and I had already started my Hausa studies. He said, I would see a man in our neighborhood who in the beginning of the night he would start drinking. By the end of the night, every single night he would be drunk. And when he got drunk, he would always try to have a conversation with me. But he said, I always ran away from him. I, I never really wanted to have a conversation with him because I knew he's not in the right state of mind. And what's this guy going to say to me? I was young. I was studying in the seminary. I also wanted to uphold the reputation for myself. He said one day, 
I was stuck. I was waiting for a ride. I couldn't get home. There was nobody in the street. It was past midnight. And I saw this guy coming from far. And he was drunk and he could not even walk. And I said to myself, this is going to be the most awkward conversation. This is going to be horrible. He said, but I waited out. I had to wait there. He said, he came close to me. He said to me, Sheikh, I've been trying to tell you something. I said, what is it? He said, I've been trying to tell you that once you wake up for Salat al-Fajr, if you pray the night prayers, ask Allah for forgiveness for me. Tell Allah that I want to repent. I want to stop. I'm tired of this life. So he said, I was surprised. I was shocked. I said to him, well, why don't you say that to Allah yourself? Why, why do you want me to tell, you, tell him on your behalf? He said, because my tongue is najis. I don't want to speak to Allah while my tongue is najis. While there's najasa in my stomach. You do it on my behalf. He said, I broke down in tears. He said, come close to me. Let us make a dua together. Let us speak to Allah together. He said to me, if you please accompany me to my home. Help me. Let me do a ghusl of istighfar. Help me ask for forgiveness. He said, I went with him. He did ghusl, he came out, he wore a brand new attire. He said, please, why don't you pray and I will pray with you. He said, I, we prayed Salat al-Layl, then we prayed Salat al-Fajr. He said, then I went home. He told me, Sheikh, before you go, please promise me that you will let me hang out with you, with your friends. I don't want to go back. To my friends, I don't want to go back to the life I had. I said to him, yes. So he said the next day, the most awkward scene for people was, this person who they knew who he was, was now hanging out with a bunch of sheikhs. Going with them to eat and then going to the masjid and then going out. May Allah bless this alim. May Allah bless the akhlaq and the humility of this alim. A alim is not above Imam al Hussein. Imam al Hussein, Amir al Mu'mineen, Rasulullah. They had such audiences, they gave time to such people, they heard them. Who are we to say, no, we can't. We have to keep a distance. To judge them by the way they dress. To judge them by the way they look. To judge them by the, their behaviors. He said every single day, we would do salah and whatnot. 
Long story short, he says, the eve of Friday, Laylatul Jumu'ah, Thursday night, he said, we went to one of the holy shrines. There, we read Dua Kumail. We did the ziyarah of Imam Al-Husayn. إِنَّ الْحُسَيْنَ مِصْبَاحُ الْهُدَى وَسَفِينَةُ النَّجَاتِ Hussein is that ark of salvation. Hussein will help you. He said he did the ziyarah of Imam al Hussein and he went home. He said Friday noon, we were about to meet with him somewhere so we can go to the masjid. He didn't show up. We waited for him. He didn't show up said, I went to their home. I heard cries coming from the home. I knocked at the door. His wife came. She said, my husband passed away this morning. She said when he was taking his last breath in the last moments, he knew that he was about to go. He says to me, come. Please tell the sheikh he has not neglected me in the past week. Don't neglect me now. I know it's a shame for you to come to my janazah and to pray on my janazah for whom I was. But you are a witness to my tawbah, my istighfar. Please come to my janazah. Please pray on my body. Please place me in my grave. This should be the Example for all religious institutions, for all the ulama, for all the scholars, for all the practicing mu'mineen and mu'minat in our community. And tonight, I want to talk about this sensitive topic, the topic of shaming others. The dangers of shaming others, how it relates and exists in our community in the following manner. Number one, the shaming of Muslims or what's known as Islamophobia. Number two, the shamings, the shaming of the Shia or Shia phobia. Number three, religious shaming. And number four, <clears throat> shaming based on poverty or failure. If you're ready for us to examine this topic, recite three loud salawats ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. Brothers and sisters, as Muslims living in the West, wherever you are, in America, in Canada, in Europe, in Australia, we all know the difficulties of the Muslims having to live in the West. 
especially the youngsters, especially the children, especially the kids. Those who go to school and they're made fun of because of their name. You know, if your name, for example, is something like Osama. I know for a fact in America, that's a horrible name to have. And the likes of those names, obviously I'm not going to take them out now so that we are respectful towards them as well. Or their background. If they come from Iraq, Pakistan, India, Afghanistan, then they see discrimination. They're shamed because of who they are and where they come from. Sometimes if their parents pick them up in the special clothing that they have, they make fun of them and shame them because of their parents. They go on field trips. Everybody's eating, you know, the pepperoni pizza. They can't. They shame them. It's not easy for a child, for a teenager to grow up in the West while they hold on to their identity as Muslims. Similarly, it is not easy for women, for the ladies, for the sisters, who are the ambassadors of Islam with their hijab. So if your children go through a little bit of difficulty, questioning, hardship, we should not be the ones that also shame them at home. So they're being shamed at school, they come back home and we shame them as well. If the hijab is not the most perfect hijab, they're being shamed at work, at school, at university, they come home to our communities and we also shame them. You see this dilemma? Instead, what should we do? Should we take off the hijab? Start eating, you know, the pepperoni pizza? If we can't go to prom and we're ashamed, do we just start going to prom? If we can't sit on the same table where alcohol is being served and we're ashamed, do we just give up and we sit on the same table? Do we change our name? Do we change the way we dress? Do we change the way we behave? People have done that. Has it worked? What people don't understand sometimes in our community is you're part of this community. You look like a Ali, look like a Abbas, look like a Muhammad. Don't change your name. Change the way you behave. Change the way you think. Change the way you plan. What do I mean? Be proud of who you are. Muslims are amongst the most law-abiding citizens in the West. Muslims 
are amongst the best of citizens in their countries. With the lowest amount of crime. The best of doctors and professors, business owners, the best of neighbors, the best of teachers are from the Muslim community. Look at us today, alhamdulillah. We are able to gather in the safest way possible. To abide by the laws in the safest way possible. I can speak for my own self. I hope I don't sound biased. But I think this is the safest place in all of the United Kingdom. Go look at the restaurants. There's no social distancing. Go look at the supermarkets. Literally everywhere you go. Except here. We made it an example for everybody to see that Muslims are law-abiding individuals. They're respectful individuals. They're good citizens. So be proud of who you are, number one. Number two, change the way we behave. I'll speak about myself. I have to change the way I behave. What do I mean? I have to go the extra mile to show kindness, to be courteous to my neighbors. To those people I stand in line with. People I work with. People I interact with. This is how you can change and combat the Islamophobia, the fake news that people are exposed to on daily basis. Every single day. There's a new way to defame Islam and Muslims. To scare people off. Muslims want to come and take over and they want to implement their laws. If Muslims wanted Islamic law to be implemented the way it's implemented in Muslim countries, they would have never left the Muslim countries. They would have gone back to their Muslim countries. Muslims are here because they want freedom, equality, justice, liberty, equal opportunity. Number two, it's the ongoing phobia against the followers of the madhab of Ahlul Bayt. You, my brothers and sisters who are here, elsewhere, within your homes, especially in the beginning of the month of Muharram, this campaign of hate, this campaign of accusation and misinformation begins. And I don't want to repeat all those things that we hear and we know. And about the ziyara of Imam Al-Hussein, about our relationship with the Ahlul Bayt, about our Quran. But how do we combat that? That's important. Let's not sit and complain about our situation. Let's be proactive. Let's seek change. How do we change that? Some people think in order for us to change that is to adopt the same behavior. If that was the case, Imam Ali would have made that clear. 
in the battle of Jamal, in the battle of Safin. However, Amir al-Mu'mineen wa Mawla al-Muwahideen Ali ibn Abi Talib salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi he set a standard for us as followers. Even though the opposition misbehaved when he gained power he behaved in a way that shocked them and shocked the world until today with akhlaq, with morality, with ethics. I see people taking two types of stance today. One is diluting the madhab of Ahl al-Bayt. Ignoring or sometimes forgetting the most important principles and cardinals of the madhab of Ahl al-Bayt. Why? Because they feel like, you know, we want to blend in more and we want more acceptance. And, and on the other hand, I see, no, the, the bashing of others and the constant ongoing battle. And the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt and the methodology of Ahl al-Bayt has been forgotten. What is the methodology of the Ahl al-Bayt? What is the akhlaq of Ahl al-Bayt? It is the Quran. Brothers and sisters, listen. The Imam of Imam al-Husayn, the Imam of Imam Ali was the Holy Quran. The Imam of Rasulullah was the Quran. La yantiqu anil hawa in huwa illa wahyun yuha. The Quran is the words of Allah. Allah guides Rasulullah. Allah guides Ali. Allah guides Hassan. Allah guides Hussein. Through the last revelation. And Allah teaches us in the Holy Quran. Ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmah. وَالْمَوْعِظَةِ الْحَسَنَةِ وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنَةِ First of all, speak with kindness, even in debates. Speak with etiquette, with respect. Number two, make sure that you use wisdom. Who to speak to, when to speak, what to say, where to say it, how to say it. It's all part of wisdom. Allah says use wisdom. Don't be somebody who's reckless. And number three, use the right dalil. Make sure that we educate ourselves. We give the right tools to our community in order to be able to safeguard, defend, and propagate the teachings of the Ahl al-Bayt. And this is how we can combat this Shia shaming. Number three, it's the shaming, the religious shaming, the shaming of the sinners, the shaming of those who are less than us. And I'd like to speak about that in three 
separate items. Very quickly, number one, those who are less than us, those who know less than us, those who have not maybe gone to ziyarah, those who have not gone to hajj, those who are not, you know, always present in the majlis, those who are not always present in the masjid, those who may not dress properly, speak properly, do not have the best of history, religious history. It has become a trend, an ongoing trend, that we shame them, we belittle them. Why? Because we put ourselves above them. I've been to Hajj, I've been to Ziyarah, I'm always in the masjid. I have this thing here on my forehead. So I am better than them. I can shame them if they do something wrong. History tells us that Musa ibn Imran, when he wanted to meet with Allah, Allah says to him, Musa, bring somebody from Bani Israel who's less than you in status. Bring him with you. Before you come to meet with me in Mount Sinai. So Musa, he went around, he looked at the people. He couldn't find anybody. Every time he wanted to choose somebody, he said, well, what if they repented? What if they have more tawakkul than I do? What if within their hearts they have a great relationship with God? Who am I to judge? So he wanted to go there, he saw a dog. And this dog was ill, so he said, you know what, the safest thing probably is to take a dog. I mean, I'm a human, I'm a prophet of God, I'm a messenger of God, here's a dog, a stray dog. As soon as he went close to the dog, he saw that this dog belonged to a shepherd, so the shepherd called out the dog. Even, the do even though the dog was injured, it was hurt, the dog did its best to get to as owner to follow the commands of his owner Musa was ashamed he said you know this this dog is so submissive to his owner he's such a good dog he's such a loyal dog I can't do that so he showed up and Allah first thing he says to him Musa what happened you didn't bring anybody with you he says Allah I, I couldn't put myself above others tried I couldn't Allah says Musa if you would have come with anybody else including that dog you would not have found me here the reason why I'm willing to speak with you to give you quality time is because of your humility Allahu Akbar how we sometimes because we feel we've done more than others for Allah, we begin to put ourselves above them. We give the right to ourselves to do that. Number two, it's the shaming of the converts. I wish I can spend more time speaking of this dilemma. Those converts who spend years and years studying the religion of Islam, learning how to pray, fasting, 
having to go through all the trouble, losing their circle of friends. Some of them are even abandoned by their families. And once they come in our communities, we shame them. You don't know how to pray. You don't know how to wear the hijab. You don't know how to, for example, recite the Quran. You were less than us. We were born in Islam. And the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are above me. Above many of us. Because they found the religion of Islam. They studied the religion of Islam. They endure hardship just to be a Muslim on daily basis. What gives me the right to shame them? To put them down. And number three, it's the shaming of the sinners. Those who have sinned. Those who do not have the traditional relationship with Allah. But they want to. They're willing. And we drive them away. Instead of doing something to pull them closer, to encourage them, the way we act repels them, drives them away. Musa one day, you know Musa was a shepherd, so he went to the desert and he saw another shepherd. And this shepherd was speaking to himself. He was saying, I wish you were here so I can comb your hair, so I can massage your feet, so I can take out the lice from your hair, so I can massage your back, I can bathe you, I can put you in bed, I can tuck you. So Musa said, who are you speaking with? Or do you miss your lover? He says, no, I'm speaking to God. So Musa is furious. Are you crazy? You want to comb God's hair and massage his feet and tuck him in bed? That's blasphemy. What are you saying? That's not how you speak to God. And of course this man didn't know any better. He was a shepherd. He never even went to school. Didn't know anything. So he felt ashamed. He stayed quiet. A day passed, two days passed, the third day, Jibra'il comes to Musa, Musa, shame on you. This man, for decades, every day he would speak to Allah, and Allah loved his voice. And the conversation he had with Allah, you've shamed this man so much, he's not willing to speak to God anymore. Allah misses his conversation. Allah misses his voice. Let us not continue to shame people because of what they have done. Let us understand that does not represent the teachings of Islam. The teachings of the Quran. <clears throat> and finally, with this very brief moment, I will conclude. The shaming of people because of Poverty, unachievement. Even though they may be the best of people, they are successful at what they do. 
but they are not wealthy. They don't live in million dollar homes. They don't drive hundreds of thousands of dollars of cars. They cannot afford lavish vacations. They're normal people, average people. Let us not behave in ways where we shame them, we put them down. We make them feel that they're failures. Sometimes a wife towards her husband. Sometimes a brother towards his brother. Sometimes a cousin towards his cousin. Sometimes a community towards certain individuals. Sometimes the ulama and scholars and leadership towards certain members of the community. Sometimes we do this unintentionally, but this needs to stop. We need to put this to an end. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, Allah has blessed some of us. It's okay to enjoy the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, Allah wants to see you if He's blessed you with His ni'mah. To live comfortably, to have a beautiful home, to drive a comfortable vehicle, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't do that at the expense of shaming others, especially in your community. Try to be modest when you come to the community center. Try to blend in, be like everybody else. What is this business of being flashy, being extravagant, shaming people who cannot lead such a life? That is unacceptable. That goes directly against the teachings of the Ahlul Bayt. There are many people this evening who I know and we know and you know wish they could be here and take part in the aza of Imam Al-Hussein because it's so special. Because it's a life-changing experience. Brothers and sisters, we should feel honored privilege that we are here but we should never leave this place as the same individual same person let Imam al-Hussein rejuvenate our souls and our hearts just like he did to those who stood next to him on the 10th of Muharram the superstars of the day of Ashura. The ones that we honor and we commemorate every night. And tonight, we are commemorating a special hero, a special man, a man who has a special place in the, in the hearts of the followers of Al-Muhammad, the lovers of Hussein. A man who was very dear to his uncle, Aba Abdullah. The grandson of Rasulullah. The grandson of Amir al-Mu'mineen. 
القاسم بن الحسن القاسم بن الحسن هو a reminder of his father الحسن سيد شباب أهل الجنة this young man we go to him we go to his uncle we go to the shahada of Karbala once again we travel from this remote location to Karbala to Bainul Haramain all together wherever you are whether you're in your vehicles whether you're standing out in the cold as a volunteer whether you're sitting at home and you've welcomed us once again to your home, to your living rooms, to local Amambargas and your cities, all of us together. Let us put our hands on our chest and let us salute our Imam, Sayyid al-Shuhada and his family and his ashab. Assalamu ala واستشفعنا وتوسلنا بك إلى الله وقدمناك بين يدي حاجاتنا يا وجيها اشفع لنا عند 